0: Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Well, it is week number four in our series entitled Heaven on Earth. And we're deep now in the series as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. And we've walked through the first chapter, chapter five, um, where we touched on a number of, of points from uh, the Beatitudes to being salt and light to many practical things about everyday life and the way that we love and the way that we care, the way that we choose uh, obedience based on love. And now today we jump into chapter 6 where Jesus continues to speak. And, and he speaks with strength and with challenge But by the end of the message today, we're going to we're going to sense a great redemption in our hearts because that's who Jesus is. And so track with us. And I want to start here in verse one of chapter six, where Jesus gives a warning and and then we're going to unpack the verses that follow. And we're going to allow the Lord to do some excavation in our hearts as we as we listen and learn. So verse one, be careful. There's your warning. Not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So let me start at the end there. Jesus is suggesting that God gives rewards. And so any gospel, any teaching that doesn't allow for room for God to be a God of reward is not teaching the teachings of Jesus. Because Jesus suggests that there is reward. Now, the reward may not be what we would suggest it is. It may not be what the Old Testament writings tell us are those rewards. But it's true that Jesus and his gospel promises reward. And I think that's okay. I don't want to miss the reward of God for some other cheap imitation reward. You will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Oh, that's not what I want. Jesus is warning He's saying don't practice your righteousness. In other words, don't do the good things that you know to do in front of people. In other words, to be noticed by them, to be admired for them, for people to say, wow, aren't you amazing, aren't you a great person? So what is Jesus talking about here? Jesus' message here is not on laziness. It's not on greed. It's not on being idle. Although those are all things that Jesus warned us against, that's not what he's talking about here. Jesus here is talking to us about motive, about what's going on on the inside. In other words, it's about finding a pure motive to accompany your good deeds, It's not about choosing to simply not do good deeds, but it's about having the right motive, a pure motive in doing it. And so Jesus works actually off of an assumption. And this assumption is actually the first challenge to us as we begin the message today. Jesus makes an assumption that we as followers, as disciples, are people who give, people who pray, and people who fast. That's the assumption. In fact, it says it this way in verse 2. It says, so when you give. In verse 5, it says, and when you pray. In verse 16, it says, when you fast. In other words, what Jesus is saying is these are the actions of Christ followers. These are known as spiritual disciplines for you and me. There are things that we practice that allow this righteousness to be visible in our lives. Now... What Jesus is saying here is that for you and me, it's impossible for us to claim to be followers and yet live a life that doesn't include sacrifice. That's what Jesus is saying here. In other words, I'm going to give, I'm not going to spend all my money on myself. I'm going to pray. I'm not going to spend all my time on myself. I'm going to fast. I'm not going to allow my body to rule over me. I'm going to fast. So Jesus is asserting here that it's unthinkable to be a disciple of Jesus and avoid the cross. The cross shows up in our discipleship and Jesus calls us to bear that cross. So my giving... My praying, my fasting, those are the acts of righteousness that Jesus is talking about in this very first verse. And that to me is quite a challenge. Are these present in my life? If not, then I need to accept the responsibility as a disciple of Jesus Christ to consider how does sacrificial giving, how does consistent prayer, how do times of fasting fit into my life? Well, we haven't even got started, and Jesus is already giving us a very significant challenge. And so that is the precursor, if you will. That's the appetizer, and now let's get into the main course, which is the second challenge, and that's where we find our title. Jesus is talking to us about motive, and the rest of what we're going to be discussing is how Jesus begins to challenge our motives. This message is entitled The Motive of test the motive test jesus warns us of our wrong motives now what he means by that is it's not just what i do it's why i'm doing it that matters to jesus it matters jesus asks why is it that you give why is it that you pray why is it that you fast and and we're going to make connection hopefully, for each of our lives in this modern context to these ancient words. And so let's start where Jesus starts. What's your motive in giving to the needy? You know, giving to the needy was seen as really the highest and purest righteous act that a Jew could do. In fact, there are ancient rabbis who are quoted as saying, if you give to the needy, that is more important than all the sacrifices you could make in the temple. And so there was this sense of this being truly righteous, to give to those in need. In fact, the Jews use the same word for giving to the needy as they do for righteousness. Isn't that interesting? The Hebrew word is the same word. And so when we begin now with verse 2, you understand the implication of what Jesus is saying. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Listen, if your goal is the reward of people, fine, do it publicly. If your your goal is is to be seen as righteous and to be honored by people, then Jesus says, announce your giving with trumpets. Go ahead, like, man, make, uh, there's your reward. But know this, there's no other reward. But Jesus has something else to challenge us with. You see, there was this place in the temple that was known as the room of secrets, actually. And that's where righteous Jews would go, and they would make atonement for their sins by giving money. That money would be held, and any Jew that had fallen on hard times but was living their lives according to the law, could come to that place and be given that money to meet their needs. It was a secret place. And so Jesus is referencing this when he uses the word secret. Now, this... Changed over time because it became very clear that that money was a way to garner influence and applause, and so people began to give their money publicly. And this even got worse once they were no longer going to the temple, but they were going to little synagogues. It was like a chapel in every town, and they would show up with their chest and their purple robes and pour out their money, and everyone would say, "Ooh, ah, oh my, so great!" And Jesus is saying, "Be very careful about this." He's saying you should give in a different way. This is what's happening in the world around you right now, but you should do it differently. Verse 3, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, can we just be real? There's absolutely no way for my left hand to not know what my right hand is doing. Why? Because I have a fully functional brain. At least some days. Right, honey? Some, yeah. So it's not possible for that to be literal. So let's be careful with how literal we make things here. Okay? Because this is an impossibility. There's a context. There is a reason. Jesus is making a point. He's saying, listen, stop showing off with your money. Stop it. Because all you're doing is you're exploiting the poor. You're, you're making yourself look great. You're out there saying, look at this poor soul. Look at this needy person. I will provide for them. Oh, to the great applause of everyone else. The great applause of everyone else. But I love that we have now leveraged technology in a way that allows us to give completely Privately. It's wonderful. You can give online, and nobody knows. We can all give to Ukraine today, and there's no lineup of the who did and the who didn't. We do it in a different way, and I'm actually really thrilled about that. Online, text giving, all of that. It's easy to give with the right motive, but here's the deal. I want to caution you about the secrecy of giving, because we can overemphasize that. Jesus uses the words secret very carefully because he's talking about what was going on in the culture and referencing the temple, as I mentioned to you. But we can go too far with this secrecy. And if we give to the needy anonymously, we simply leave our gift and run away, we do miss an opportunity to share God's love. At some point, we've missed the point. Kingdom Builders, we fund that together. And it funds Welcome Wagon and Hampers and Food Markets and Cridge and many other things that we do. But we do those ministries face-to-face on purpose. We do them face-to-face on purpose so we can share the love of Jesus. And we can invite people into a life-giving relationship with him. So don't miss that. Face-to-face is important. And here's what I want you to remember about this passage. The secrecy command attacks wrong motives, not gospel impact. Are you understanding what I mean here? Let's be careful with motive. That's what Jesus is talking to us about. That's why we freely tell the stories of the impact of your giving. Because we want to celebrate the gospel at work. Amen? We want to celebrate it. We want to celebrate it together. And so many of you have taken bold steps in the ministry of giving, and you are making a difference. And what a blessing you are. You are being used by God, and we celebrate that with you. Amen? Amen. All right. Jesus continues with his next ask. He says, what is your motive in prayer? What is your motive in prayer? And so let's read the ancient context and make application. Here we go, verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Over and over again, Jesus says, hey, if you do it before people to be seen by them, you've got the reward you wanted. I just find this one, you know, let's just be honest. There really is... No issue for us here in Canada with this one. If you stand on the street corner and you're praying loudly, you're just crazy, right? Basically, everyone goes, there's a crazy person. Okay, wonderful, right? There is no benefit in our culture to you specifically amongst people in Canada for them to go, wow, you must really love God. They're going to be thinking something else. And that's fine. I just want you to know that. So how do we apply this to us? Because it doesn't directly apply. Because if it did directly apply, you could simply say, oh, good. Okay, I'll never pray outside again. No, no, no. Don't miss the point. The application for us could be simply this, that maybe our prayers are too much about us, that we pray selfishly a lot We pray about our needs and our concerns and we fail to engage the world around us and the need of those around us and those who are beyond our reach and God loves them and cares for them and wants to lead us into that. Maybe it's the way that we worship publicly. Maybe we could talk about that for a minute. Maybe our worship is based on whether or not we like the songs. And if we like the songs, we will worship. If we don't, we'll kind of stand there until it's over. We'll endure it. But isn't it possible for us to lift our eyes a little higher and say, I don't even like this song, but I sure love you, Jesus. And I'm going to take the moments that are given to me, and I'm going to worship you with a pure motive in my heart. Are you hearing me? You know, we are a a worship community. We love to worship and and we love to worship demonstratively. We love to raise our hands and, and you know what? You're allowed to do that. Feel free, raise your hands. You know, we can even shout hallelujah. I mean, goodness, I know it might seem a little bit crazy, but you can even hop on one foot if you want to. Sometimes these guys down here do that, right? Uh, it, it's a place to celebrate. We say hallelujah. We shout amen to the preacher. We even clap when we are encouraged by the song lyrics or by the preaching. And that's all very good. I love that. But on occasion, on occasion there are people who come to church, and, and, and maybe because of the size of this crowd or because of, of the, the desire that they have or need that they have for affirmation, they choose to stand out. They choose to draw attention to themselves happily. And I've been here in this church long enough to see that happen. Maybe you have too. And the reason why I surface this today is because I want to make a distinction for those of you who may be newer to us. We do celebrate demonstratively, but we do it in unity. We do it together. And and you know what? GT is a gracious place. It's a loving place. And we can endure an amount of wrong motive, but we certainly can spot it when somebody is there with the wrong motive because it's simply out of sync. And so I think maybe what the Lord is saying is, come on, everybody, let's pray prayers that are about other people. Let's worship with our attention on God, not critiquing what's happening or the song choice. And let's move ourselves into that place where we demonstratively do worship, but we do it with a sense of unity and together the attention should always be on Jesus. Amen? Amen. But, but perhaps the greatest application is the pure joy of engaging the power of private prayer with a pure motive. There is power In your prayer, friends, there is power in your prayer. Here's what Jesus says in verse six. But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Over and over again, Jesus is saying there is a reward. You pray in faith. You pray to a God you cannot see. But what is the reward? What's the reward of private prayer? How about a powerful answer from God? How does that sound? Does that sound like a good reward? Man, why are we praying in the first place? I want an answer from God, and I'll take a powerful response from God. The last thing that I want to do and the last thing that we should ever do is exchange faith in God's answer for the reward of man's praise. It's simply not a good trade. If someone offers you that trade, don't take it. Don't take it because God has a reward in his answer for you. And when you pray, Jesus continues, don't don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Again, this is a reference to what happened in temple worship. There were rote prayers that they would pray continually over and over again, maybe not even thinking about what they're saying, just saying it. And, And Jesus says, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I'm so thankful for that. Your God knows what you need even before you ask. And so when you ask, what's the point here? What's Jesus teaching us? Man, I tell you, he's saying that there's power in your prayers, and that's way better than man's praise. And he's also saying that your simple prayer of faith is all you need. It's not your great words, it's not your eloquence, it's it's not your exuberance or your length. It's faith in the heart, a simple prayer. When God used Elijah to bring fire from heaven, his prayer was only 60 words long. That's not a long prayer, friends. That's not a long prayer at all. But he said, God, show up in power. Show up in power, and God certainly did. Listen, what's Jesus doing here? He's training you and me for war. That's what he's doing. He's training us for war with this command. Listen, if you and me learn to fight with faith-filled prayers, if you go to your prayer closet and you learn to commune with God, if I go to my prayer closet and I learn to commune with God, and then we come together and we pray together with that faith, come on, God is going to move, amen? He's training us for the time when we battle together. That's why Moses said one might put a 1,000 to flight, but two, 10,000. And Jesus said, if two or three of you agree on something, you can have what you ask for. There's something about the training that takes place in the secret place. Now, this is not an indictment against public prayer. But I did hear one theologian say that public prayers are sometimes the most dishonest prayers You can fool people. You can get up and look and sound pious. But when you're alone in your prayer closet, you're doing the real work. When you're there with you and God, you're honest. You're vulnerable. You're laid bare before him. And the good work of God is happening in your heart. And then we come together and those public prayers actually have a meaning. They have a purpose. So Jesus says, hey, what's your motive in giving to the needy? What's your motive in prayer? And then thirdly, he says, what's your motive in fasting? And, and so just so you know, there's only one type of fasting in the Bible, and that's going without food. So so we can be pretty clear, that's what the Bible means. Fasting is going without food. And so here's what Jesus says: when, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. <laughs> I just, Jesus is funny. I, I mean, this is hilarious. Uh, Can you imagine this? Like, here comes the guy who's fasting. Oh! Disfigured face. Oh! I'm so hungry. Oh! I mean, that's hilarious if you think about it. Do people actually do that? Well, I've never seen it, but that's like my 12-year-old after school. Oh, I'm so hungry, right? It's actually hilarious, like Jesus is funny. He's funny and he's teaching a funny thing here. (laughs) These guys actually disfigure their faces and hold their bellies and drag their feet, you know? I mean, it's a really funny picture. And that's what Jesus is saying. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. What reward? I have no idea. Maybe it's pity, poor guy. Look how how miserable you are. I mean, where is the reward? But somehow that's the reward. Reward. And here's what Jesus says about fasting. But when you fast, put oil on your head. I mean, style that hair. Come on, curl those bangs. Put that eye shadow on. Come on, somebody. The red lipstick and the nice dress, right? Why? Why? Because something's going on here. When I do this, I, it's not going to be obvious to others that I'm fasting. But only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do you you see the common thread in what Jesus is saying? Get our eyes off of people, get our motive pure and our eyes on Jesus, our eyes on the father. Again, this is not a common problem in our culture. I mean, lots of people aren't fasting at all. But I just want to say to you, there's a rich experience for you in fasting. This is a hard sell. You know what would be really great for you? Stop eating. (laughs) This is a hard sell, and I get it. But can can I just suggest to you that fasting is an incredible gateway into resetting your motive. It really is. This whole thing about motive, this might be the key for some of us because all of a sudden it's simply not about anything else, but coming into that place where you're saying, God, I crave you more, more than anything else, more than food today. I want you, Jesus. I'm hungry for you. The joy in fasting is that I have this freedom over the control that my flesh always wants to place on me. I get robbed at times because of the attention that my flesh longs for. I want to tell you, in the the small amount of fasting that I've done in my life, I'd say, you know, the, the times where the Lord has been the most clear with me is in those times where I have pushed away from the cravings of my flesh, and drawn into him. I I remember one storyline that God brought to my my heart while I began a fast. And it was this picture of Jesus sitting at the well and the Samaritan woman, he's interacting with her. And the disciples show up and they're like, Jesus, we went to get food, we got food. Come on, get away from her. Here, here, you're hungry. And Jesus turned to them and said, I have food that you know nothing about. And I feel like the Lord just lodged that thought in my spirit that I want to know that food. <laughs> that food, I, I, honestly, I don't know anything about it, Lord, unless, unless you give it to me. Because you do know a satisfaction that I can't find on my own. And pushing away from the table gives me that opportunity. And so as the message comes in for a close, I just want to leave you with a few questions. Questions that I think will help you uncover motive in your own heart. Maybe give you an opportunity to wrestle your own journey with the Lord. So I ask you these questions and just ask you to reflect. And then we're going to get to our Redeemer in just a minute. Question one. Does your behavior change when the applause fades? I mean, when no one's looking anymore or when you're not in charge anymore and somebody else is. Is your need for recognition fueling your engagement with others? Do you crave popularity and influence? When you serve others, do you keep score? If the answer is yes, then it's possible that your eyes may be in the wrong place. It might be important for you to consider how you can get your eyes on Jesus. And I know that might sound like bad news, but here's the good news. Jesus reveals our darkness so that he can fill us with light. (laughs) That's the point. That's the redemption that we live in. Jesus always redeems and right motives come when Jesus comes. And so let's invite him to come. You see, he had one motive, friends, love. And you want to find a pure motive, share that one with Jesus. Jesus says, come on and abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. Let my love cover you. Let my love surround you and and let your giving, let your prayers, let your fasting be motivated by love. And I want to give you something practical, a next step that we can do together here. Over this the next week, I I want to declare, if you will, a fast, a time of prayer and a time of generosity for the nation of Ukraine. It has nothing to do with you or me directly. It's a perfect way to practice love as our motivation. Would you join me this week? Would you be one who gives something to help those people? They really need it. Would you pray with us maybe even on Tuesday morning or Tuesday at noon, you can tune in if you're somewhere else? Or would you at least take some time and say, I'm gonna pray specifically for God's help in the nation of Ukraine with my church. And and whether it's a meal or a day or an elimination of certain foods, could we express a fast to the Lord to say, God, hear us? We're praying with the motive of love. We're asking that you would reach people. He loves us. And he has enough love to share. Let's let that love be our motive and our motivation. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. God, it's just so rich. At times we miss it. I pray today that Jesus, you would speak to us by your spirit. Make these words fresh for us. And oh God, capture us. Capture us with the pure motive of love. And, And let us with joy Take steps in our spiritual journey. Take steps in these spiritual disciplines and grow in a place of genuine love for you. We thank you, God, that you hear us today. In Jesus' name, amen.